0: Okay, before anybody throws anything at me, because <laughs> I see a lot of orange out there, I got to say something, last year the Guardians for my birthday gave me this shirt, and upon the threat of my life, Gunpoint said I would better wear it today, or something like that, but <clears throat> but it's true, they did give that to me, and those guys are armed, and you really just do what they say around here. Well, we've been uh, in this series uh, last week and the next few weeks, following this family story. And some of you may just feel a little awkward like we're watching a uh, kind of a little sitcom or something as part of the service. But you know, Jesus told a lot of stories in Scripture, a lot of stories to help embody the truth. They're called parables. And sometimes he told parable after parable after parable, 10, 15, 20 minutes of stories to get across the point. And for some of us who are visual learners, it helps us to see in action some of the principles that we're talking about. Now, last week, we talked about this principle of first. And to give you some background, if you weren't here, um, Frank Donovan is a wealthy businessman. He had a choice as he was thinking of his future, and he made a choice of rather than uh, make charitable contributions, he wanted to double his retirement. But he was was schooled by his little boy, Evan, who had learned a lesson from the gardener, Ray, that we should give God our first and best. And so when another little boy who'd returned with his family from the mission field Without any of his toys, he decided to give his new friend his vintage toy airplane, an incredible sacrificial gift. See, we're learning about living generously and how to live generously in our lifestyle day after day. And quite often in in our lives, God looks to the witnesses around us. In fact, it's it's a common theme in scripture where God calls two or three witnesses to testify to something that is true. And so that's what we're going to look at today, is how does money testify? If money were to be put on the stand, what would our money say about us? Would it it validate us as generous givers, or would it condemn us as people who are really um, fairly selfish and and motivated by our own agendas? And so we're going to look at that today, and some of you may feel a little uncomfortable about that, of looking at a subject like that. But here's what I want to do. Most of us make decisions based on just the present. We, we, we make decisions on what feels good now, not what fares good later. What I mean by that is we will make sometimes unhealthy choices. Think about our physical health. I don't know about you, but I don't like to go to the doctor. And the reason I don't like to go to the doctor or the dentist is because it, there's always something wrong. There's always something they want to tell me to stop doing. There's always something they want to give me to start taking. There's some change in my lifestyle they want to make. So I just feel like if I don't go to the doctor, then I don't have a problem. But that's not true. I just don't know I have a problem. In fact, if I ignore the problem long enough, that problem could have disastrous consequences. So it's better for me to know where I stand now with my health so I can address things and make changes now so I can live longer in the spiritual realm. It's true, too. It's better for us to know now where we stand and to look ahead of what would the witnesses say down the road so we can live our lives now so we can enjoy ourselves forever without regret because that's really the goal, to live a life without regret, to live a life that we know is pleasing to the Lord. So as we talk about this today, I want to ask you if you uh, would just open your heart as we call the witnesses to the stand of our lives, that God would teach us something true, something new, something that would actually change us in our minds, and our hearts, but ultimately in our habits to make us more generous. So pray with me. Father, we come before you asking you to speak into our hearts this day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to handle your stuff and to deal with it in a way that not only brings us joy, but brings you joy and brings other people joy. So open your word to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start with a, with a verse from the book of James chapter 5, and, and in this, James is speaking to some wealthy people, business owners, landowners, and he says this, your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you. Your wealth will testify against you. You've heard the phrase, money talks? That's what it's saying here, is is money talks. Money says something. And if your money could talk, it would testify against you. And I wonder, if we call money to the stage or to the stand, the witness stand in a courtroom, what would it say? What would it say about us? Here's three things I think it would say. Number one, it would reveal what you think of others. It would reveal what you think of others. Last week we learned... um, The very first and greatest commandment was this, to love the Lord your God with all of what? Your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. In other words, love God with everything you have, everything you are. Love him totally, um, love him passionately, love him thoroughly. But it doesn't end there. Jesus then linked this other commandment to it and said, and the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so God tells us to to love others to the measure of, of our own love for ourselves, and why do we do that? Well, the scripture says we love because he first loved us. It's as if we have this vessel or cup or something that God keeps pouring love into. And as it gets to the top and starts to spill over, it spills over and splashes onto the people around us. We can't help but love the people around us. It's, a, it's a, the ideal format of paying it forward. God gives to us and we give to others. That's how it's supposed to work. But Is that really how it works in our lives? Let's go back to James 5. I want to follow up to to the next couple verses. Verse 4 says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. There again, money's crying out against you, testifying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Here's what he says. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. He says that the testimony is pretty clear. You've had people working for you that that were more like pawns, and you took advantage of their work and become um, fat and sassy. He says you become self indulgent. You thought of your own needs, your own desires, your own wants and pleasures, and you made sure that was satisfied. You know, I've never heard of the word others indulgent. Have you ever heard of that? No, it's always self. Why? Because. Because we tend to take care of ourselves far more than we take care of anybody else. We know what we like, we know what we want, and we make sure we are satisfied. And to do something different takes an act of God, pretty much. But I think that's why Christianity has made such an impact on the world. Think about it. All over the world, when there's a hurricane devastating an island, when there's a tsunami that that blows in and just, just... obliterates a region, when there's a a famine or a drought devastating a region, when there's a disease that's killing moms and dads and leaving little kids orphaned, who shows up? People who love Jesus, who are willing to give of their time, their money, their energy to put others before themselves. I'm sure there's some generosity in other groups out there, but by and large, most, most other religions in the world are not marked by putting others first. In fact, there's some religions that say this, you're getting what you deserve because that's karma. You must have done something bad in this life to to get this as a response to your behavior. Or some would say, this is just justice. This is what God wants to give to you. But, But those of us who come to know Jesus, say it's not Jesus' way of doing things. Jesus shows up where there's needs. Jesus shows up with compassion. Jesus sacrifices himself for the sake of others. And so we find Christian orphanages and Christian medical clinics and schools and and shelters and and just all kinds of benevolent organizations driven largely by people who are trying to imitate Jesus, because that's what happens. Jesus loves us. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, it says in there that we are to think of others more highly than ourselves. Now, that's a different concept, isn't it? That's not even saying equals. Think of others before yourself. That that takes God to work in our heart to get us to that place. But it truly is a miracle when you start to experience that in your life. And it goes on to say, that's what Jesus did for us. He came down from heaven, became a man, suffered, went to the cross for us. He was thinking of us before his own comfort, his own needs. He loved us that much. Last week, in between services, a lady caught me in the foyer and she said, "Uh, I've just bought a new car, and I'd like to give our older car to the church, to a family in need. You now, people have done that in the past, and, and so I was getting prepared for, to hear maybe a car that was kind of on its last legs, just barely chugging along, and needed a lot of work, and she said, uh, it's a seven-seater, and has 127,000 miles, and I said, wow, that's less than all our cars, it sounds like a pretty good car here, um, has new tires, but it needs some work. I said, okay, Probably the engine's going out, needs a timing belt change, something pretty big. And she said, and it needs an oil change. I said, why, why didn't you want to turn this in when you got your new car? Why didn't you turn it in? You would have probably got five or six, seven thousand dollars for this thing. And she said, well, I couldn't find the, uh, the 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 deed, the title, at the time. And then I decided I was going to sell it on my own. But but last week something happened. As she listened to God speak to her and said. There's probably someone who needs this, and so I'm willing to give it. That's thinking of others before yourself. And so we have opportunities all month long to do that as a church. And for some of you, you might, it might bother you and offend you that we would do this, but others of you are thrilled that you have an opportunity. We're giving you practical ways to express generosity. And so when you go out in the foyer and take a right, there's a, there's a display there of shoe boxes. And what that is is Operation Christmas Child takes these little boxes, and we fill them with toys and trinkets and and uh, and we ship them off to uh, actually they ship them off to overseas to little boys and girls and it's probably the only Christmas gift they'll not only get this year but for many years. And in that is tucked some literature about Jesus Christ. And see you'll never meet those kids most likely, but you love them, and so you care about them. And so people even this morning are walking out with empty shoeboxes that they're going to start bringing back filled with stuff for others. Um, last week we talked to you about the Family Mentor Alliance, a way that we're partnering with the Springs Rescue Mission here in town. And what we want is not only to provide some, some financial support for their lives, but really to provide emotional support, a family. Not only are we children of God, but we're the family of God. And we come together and care for each other. We want to form this network around these families. And the families that we are partnering with are families that are working their way um, so they don't slide into homelessness. And I don't think I told you this last week, but the families we're helping are families from our own church. And so we reach out in love, saying, I care about them just like I care for myself. I have kids who live in a warm bed at night in a nice house, and I want to make sure others can have the same thing. And today we want to share with you that, um, and we've done this for several years, we're putting together Thanksgiving baskets for people in our own community and even in our own church who can't afford to put together the turkey and and the... pumpkin pies, and all the things that typically are part of a Thanksgiving meal. So when you go out in the foyer, to your left, right across from the coffee bar, is a big display, and if you want to provide for a big family or small family or partner together with other people, and nobody has to do this, but if you want to and you want to share with someone in need, it's a great opportunity to help love others as you are loved. Last week, we passed out these little cards, these little discs, and it's just a way to to do something generously for someone else, and and to say, you know what, we, we love our community, we want to bless our community, this is one way we can express that to you, and we've encouraged you just to practice kind of random acts of generosity. It's our way to say, through our actions, that others truly are more important than ourselves, and that's displayed in our giving. Money talks. It tells us what we think of others. Here's something else that money says. It exposes your degree of sacrifice. Like he pointed out in that little video, sometimes we think of sacrifice... Is something that it really isn't And I look back at my life And last night I was reminded How selfish I was in my younger years I mean I was embarrassed last night We went around trick or treating We took our little grandson around And it was fun going to houses And getting little pieces of candy And and then sometimes it was just these little tiny pieces And I was reflecting When I was a boy, a young child And we didn't get much candy in our house Halloween was like the way to get stocked up for the year And they were just these little snack sized They didn't have snack sized candy bars They had the big ones and we would sit with our, and we didn't have empty pumpkins, we had pillowcases. Okay. We'd go with pillowcase, we'd dump the pillowcases out on the floor and start to categorize and make sure my sister didn't take any of my candy, we'd pull it here, and I'd start stacking up the, the, uh, the Nestle's Crunch Bars, the Hershey's Bars, the Snickers Bars, the Mallow Cups, the uh, you know, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, the, the gummy stuff, and those peanut butter kisses kind of went over to the side here, but we had all this candy piled up there, and you know what, I guarded that ruthlessly. I'd chop off someone's hand if they tried to take my candy. Man, I was guarded that because we didn't get candy through there. It was almost like it was my mess. I mean, it was like, oh, candy. You know, I would die for candy. I'd go blow my whole allowance on candy. And I thought, man, you were such a selfish little kid. I mean, a pillowcase full of candy. I mean, we would go until it was like 10 o'clock at night loading up on that stuff. And God's had to do a work in my heart because we we slide either to the side of selfishness or the side of sacrifice. And we want to be on the side of sacrifice. I remember on our 25th anniversary, my wife gave me a very special gift. She gave gave me a motorcycle. And in order to get that motorcycle, we didn't have money to get one, she sold her horse. She did some extra jobs on the side um, doing people's taxes. And she started squirreling away money left and right so she could get this special gift for me. For her 25th anniversary. And I look at what she gave up. She gave up her horse for me. That's a sacrifice. It cost her something. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 24 tells a story of, of how David counted his fighting men. And he wasn't supposed to do that because God wanted him to always trust that God was enough. God will fight for you. You don't need a big army to fight. You just need me. And yet, yet in his pride, David said, I wonder how many men I have fighting for me. And he counted. And a plague began to break out among the people. So David panicked, went to the Lord, just cried out, God, I'm sorry, I I messed up. What do I do to fix this? And so God sends a prophet. And here's the story. It says, On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Arana looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offerings, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana, gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But here's what David said in response. The king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So here's this man saying, David, I've got everything you need. I've got it all here. I'm willing to give it to you. You're the king, and I'm behind you. I support you. Here's, here's the floor. You can have it. You can, you can build your altar here. Here's wood for the fire. Here's oxen. You can sacrifice them. It's not going to cost you anything, David. I bless you. Go do your thing with God. And, and David was almost offended by it. He said, no, no, no. I will not offer to the Lord sacrifices that cost me Nothing. Because the word sacrifice means it cost me something. There's some expense, there's some hurt or pain that goes with it. That's what the word sacrifice means. It's amazing how when you love someone, you desire. I mean, you actually look for ways to sacrifice. You won't settle for the easy way. Last week, I was babysitting my little grandson, and I have to tell you, he just won my heart over, and I'm finding myself sharing food with him that I won't even share with my wife, I mean, he'll look over and and reach for, you know, a piece of pizza or some of my eggs and say, you want some? And he nods his head, and so I share my food with him. When he wanted to go outside and play the other day, I was babysitting last Saturday afternoon. Now, you guys know what Saturday afternoon is? College football game. I mean, there's like five games on. You can just go boom, boom, boom. And uh, he wanted to go outside in the middle of these games. And you know what? It was a no-brainer. I took him outside, we went for a walk, put him on my shoulders, it was a sunny day, we went outside. There's plenty of football games that are going to be on the rest of my life. I've got got one grandson that's around me right now that I can help create memories with. And to me, it wasn't even really a sacrifice. It's amazing the things that you can give up when you truly love someone. I think that's the way it is in our relationship with God when we give. A lady asked me the other day, she said, Pastor, help clarify something about tithing. And so she asked me some questions, and I thought, you know, I'll bet a bunch of us have have, have questions about that. Because we talk every week about tithes and offerings. And and both of those are ways that we sacrifice to the Lord. Tithing was an Old Testament practice that God required of His people to give the first 10% of what God had given them And return back to God to say, God, I acknowledge that you're the source. You're the one who gave me this. And so I'm giving you this first part to say thank you and to say that you are truly Lord over our lives. And so that was a typical expected practice among everybody. But they also had this thing called offerings. And offerings were a personal choice. It wasn't the law. It was something where you felt kind of prompted or within your heart to do a free will. You could give to a special need. Now, the tithes were really expression of worship is directed primarily to God to say, God, you take this. And they were put into the treasury, and then that money was distributed as the needs arose, and offerings were given to specific situations. And we have that here as a church. We have the treasury which is our general offering. Our tithes go to the general offering. And we do great ministry as a church. We have we 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 keep the building open, we keep it warm, we keep curriculum for the kids. We help serve in our community. We open up the care center. We do a lot of things here as a church. And we see people coming to know the Lord. We see marriages restored. We see uh, people growing in their faith, and that's good. But then sometimes we have special offerings. And we have Funds like the Benevolence Fund or Faith Promise that supports missionaries. Or we have a a drive to put together Thanksgiving food baskets. Or we put together Christmas boxes for kids in other places. And and those are things that we do just as God's given us extra to invest in those things. And she said, Pastor, is it okay if someone takes their tithe and kind of gives it wherever they want to? And I said, you can do whatever God tells you to do. But I just want to assure you this. That when we honor God and, and faithfully support the work of our local church, God does amazing things, and God's been doing incredible ministry through our church. I don't know if you've ever looked at the bulletin, but this year already, we're behind our budget. That means we have to cut things out that we would normally would do. There's things that we would want to do for our church and for our community. We can't do because of that. And so if everyone decides to not give to the general, because sometimes that's not very glamorous, I don't know exactly where it goes, but it's, it's a trust issue. I trust that when I see and... and, and the decisions that are made are truly bearing good fruit for God's kingdom. And here's what I found in our lives. For Julie and me, as we've been faithful with giving our tithes, and as God's provided for us to give offerings, uh, God's blessed us, and we've seen God do great work through the church. But I have to tell you this. For some of us, tithing would be a b- big sacrifice. There's, so Some of you have never tithed before, because you know that would really hurt to tithe. I want to say that's okay, because if it hurts, that means it's a sacrifice. And, if, and for some of you to give extra, That would be a sacrifice. And I want to say, that's okay. Because if it costs us something, that's a good thing, isn't it? Why would I want to give God something to say, God, I don't need this. You take it. God, I don't need this. Let someone else take it. But what if, God, I could use this. God, I do need this. But I'm going to put you and others before myself. That's a sacrifice. And so we give as a sacrifice. Now, last week, a little boy in our church and some of you know them. Um, There's a little, little guy named Wesley. And Wesley's been diagnosed with Asperger's. He's had some challenges all through his upgrowing. And, and we've seen him throw temper tantrums at church. And his mom said anytime she tries to take something from him, he just, he just goes ballistic. But last week, she was reading about a yard sale that a woman in our community was having because she, um, well, her husband was out of work, and she wanted to have a birthday party, party for her six-year-old son. She wanted to be able to get him a bicycle. Well, this kid said, Mom, I want to give him the bicycle I got for my birthday last year. She said, You sure you want to do that? He goes, Yeah. So they went over to this lady's house, took his little bicycle, presented it to them, and said, This is for you to give to your little boy for his birthday. And you know what the lady said? She goes, I can't take that. Here, I'll give you $10. It was almost like, How can I I take something for free that costs me nothing? So she gave $10. But on the drive home, the mom was just amazed that her little boy (laughs) was so generous. So sacrificial. And they got talking about how God does that to us. And he says, Mom, that's a lot like worship, isn't it? Yeah. God gives to us, and and we give back to to God in various ways. And and the conversation led to him that day giving his life to Christ. And in the next service, the next service today, this little nine-year-old boy is going to be baptized. You know, here's what I find happening. Isn't that awesome? What I find happening is when you... When you grab a hold of these principles like this and you become generous to God, God moves in. And So as this little boy was practicing generosity, the natural response was, I want to just open up to everything God has for me. If, if your giving took the stage in a trial, would you be guilty of sacrificial giving? Our money talks. Here's, a, here's one other thing that money says. It will identify who the master is the most frightening revelation that we would ever have at that day would be the master we thought was master isn't. But really, based on our patterns, based on choices, that really would be revealed. Has money become the source of joy, satisfaction, power, significance in our lives? Because if it has... It has taken the place that only God can fill in our lives. And there may be some temporary pleasure, power, success, significance that comes from the stuff we have, but it doesn't last. That which comes from God will last. It will be shown in the end. I wondered for a minute, you know, when we think about money taking the stand. I thought, what if, the, what if the bills could talk? What if the presidents on the bills could actually talk? I didn't know this, but Grover, uh, Grover Cleveland... His face is on the $1,000 bill. I've never held one of those, but I mean, can, can you imagine if he took the stand and gave a testimony? He might say something like this. Boy, when, when I came into their life, they screamed, they flipped, they did somersaults. They were so excited when I came to their house. We know Ben Franklin, right? Benjamins. He wasn't a president, but he's on the $100 bill. And he might tell people how we flashed his picture to our friends how we were so proud that he was part of our lives. We have Andrew Jackson who's on the $20 bill. He might, he might share how warm he is as we hold him close to our, our chest, as we, we clutch onto his presence, that we love him being in our lives. And Abraham Lincoln is on the $5 bill. We'll tell about all the places we've taken him, to Chipotle and Taco Bell, McDonald's, Burger King, the movies, the concession stands, the coffee bars. You know, Abraham Lincoln's traveled well in our lives. But can you imagine if George Washington took the stage? You know, the $1 bill? And the judge says, where have you been? Where did he take you? And he hangs his head and, church. Just church. (laughs) Just church. You know, what would would the bills say in our lives if they testified of our affection toward them, where they've been? Jesus said, and they quoted this in the little film there from Matthew Um, chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we all have favorites, right? Last week, some guy came to me and says, Pastor, my, my two favorite football teams are the Broncos and the Packers. But when they play each other, I'm cheering for the Broncos. What you'd expect, right? So this guy, this guy's telling who his favorite is. You can't have two favorites. When they, when they go against each other, there is a favorite. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't have two gods. You can't have two masters. Now, I want to tell you this. If I was sitting down with another man, and our wives were involved in a beauty pageant, and, and he said, Pastor, who are you going to vote for in the beauty pageant? If I really, you would, now think about this. If I would tell him, like, yeah, you're my buddy, I really like you. You know, I'm going to vote for your wife. I think your wife's good looking. She's talented. You know, I'm going to vote for your wife. He would disrespect me as a man because he would expect me to stand up for my own wife. And I come from the land of yellow cheese and mellow breeze, and so (laughs) you would think less of me if I would not stay true to my home state and team. Rather than say, you know what, I'm such a flimsy person, I'm just going to go with the bandwagon and join with everybody else. I would hope that you would respect me even more, that I would wear my colors today and say, even if we lose, I am true green and yellow. (laughs) And I see people today in their colors, and that's okay. You should be true. Because there's a lot of us who won't go public. (laughs) Right? Right? A lot of us are saying, I'm just going to kind of keep it secret here because there might be some consequence. You know, I think of that guy up in Washington. He's an assistant football coach at a Bremington, Washington high school. And for the last seven years, before every game, game he would pray for his team. And after every game, he would kneel out the 50-yard line, and he would pause for about 15, 20 seconds, not for a moment of silence, but a moment of prayer. And there was a group of Satanists in the school or in the community who said, we're going to Cause a ruckus there if he keeps doing that. And so this man was told to stop doing overt religious displays. And he refused to stop, so he's been put on administrative leave. I have to tell you, I have a lot of respect for that man. He wasn't forcing kids to pray, he wasn't shoving religion down their throats. He, would just, he was just saying, I'm going to thank the one who gave me this opportunity to be a coach, or whatever he was praying for. He was letting his colors be known. See, we, we let our colors be known by our actions and, and, and by the choices we make, by the words we use. I mean, think about it. If my vocabulary is filled with me and my and I, what does it say about me? It's my stuff. What am I gonna do with my money? See, it's okay to consult financial advisors. I think that's very wise to do, but, but where does God fit in that? How, do, how does God fit in that whole equation of if it's, if it's really his stuff that I'm stewarding, shouldn't I be talking to him about it? Is, it? is it his? Do I act like it's his or do I act like it's mine? See, I, I came, came across this verse years ago that really started to change my perspective. It's Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know what everything is? The world and all who live in it. The stuff and the people. He says, all that belongs to me. Everything was made by him. Everything was made for him. And so, we need to start asking ourselves, "Okay, if it's if it's his, then I need to be asking him instead of me just asking myself what I want to do." And you know, I've had to, I, I've gone through this this huge change in the last couple of years. It's only been the last couple of years, but here's a here's a question I've had to wrestle with: When something falls into my hands, you know, it might be might be a gift, might be. Uh, a bonus, it might be a surprise check in the mail or a refund or something like that. You get those. I always used to think, God, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. That's for me. It's for me. For me to keep, for me to use, for me to enjoy because you love me. And you know what I do now? Now I ask this question. God, did you give me this to keep or to give? Is this for me or for someone else? Because if it's true that it is more blessed to give than to receive, might God just be positioning us to say, you know what, the greatest blessings you'll ever receive are going to come, not because you've received this, but because now you're going to pass down to someone else. And that's where the real joy is going to come in. God loves when we become generous. And the core issue isn't, isn't money, it's our heart. Because a heart that grows close to God starts to become generous like God. And the evidence should be very clear in our lives through the way we spend, through the way we give, and how much we sacrifice, that truly he is Lord, that he is the master of our lives. And here's what I found is true. And I'll just go on record to say this. I'll make a commitment to you. That if you give, as God opens doors for you to give, you will experience blessings that will flood into your life. And I know this for a fact because it all began in my life when I first gave myself to Jesus. And that opened up all kinds of blessings. When you give yourself, when you give all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and say, here it is, all my junk, God, here's all my imperfection, here's all my selfishness, I'm bringing it to you, and you give everything you have to him, he doesn't ask you to polish it up. He doesn't ask you to get it all turned around and get it in line and then come to me. He says, no, come as you are. Come and with all your sins, all your faults, all your pain. Come before me, give yourself to me, and here's what I'll do. I'll raise you up. We'll We'll bury the past. And we'll allow you to live in a new way of life, a life where I'm now Lord, not you. See, Jesus doesn't want a little corner of our life. He doesn't want a little contribution from us. He doesn't want a little piece of our schedule. He wants to sit on the central throne of our lives as Lord, Master, and King. And I just want to ask you, have you done that? Have you given him that place? Because it'll show up in your habits. It'll show up in your vocabulary. It shows up all around us. And I just want to spare you the pain of down the road regretting decisions you didn't make now. Let Jesus be Lord.